Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some four-letter words, and today we're talking about the word call. The other day when I was in Mexico getting ready to leave, I walked into the men's restroom in one of the airports, and I walked in and saw something I'd never really seen before. One of the Mexican workers was there working in the airport, and he was in the restroom, and he was working on a urinal. And so he'd been stopped up, and he had a plunger in one hand. He was working on it, doing all he could. is filled up with water. And then he put the plunger down. Then he had a bucket in this hand, and then he was using his bare hand, and he was using his bare hand to get the water out of the urinal into the bucket. And uh, about the same response I had when I saw that. But here's what I was inspired by his work ethic, that he was willing to work. And then I just said, Lord, thank you for calling me in the ministry uh, for, for doing that. Uh, thank the Lord for his call. But uh, there's some tough jobs. If you ever hate your job, I would encourage you to talk to me about what that guy was doing that day, and you might like your job a little bit better as you do that. Well, how many sermons have you heard on the call of God? It's a major, major subject. When I think about the call of God, I think about these two questions. They're not on the outline, but I encourage you to write these down. When it comes to the call of God, here's the first question. Who is God calling you to be? It's a major question. When you look at the Apostle Paul's life in 1 Corinthians, God called him, he said, to be an apostle, but also to be someone who was going to walk faithful to Christ, live a holy life, and surrender everything to the Lord. Who is the Lord calling you to be? Second question is, what is the Lord calling you to do? So one, who's he calling you to be? And then secondly, what is he calling you to do? And then Paul goes through a list of things that the Lord was calling him to do in life. We'll talk about some of those as we go throughout this message. But when I think about the call of God, it takes me back to when God was calling me in the ministry. Several questions I was dealing with at that season of life. God, are you calling me in the ministry? And what that meant was, are you calling me to be a preacher? Second question, God, are you calling me to pastor a church? That is a significant responsibility. So God, are you calling me to do that? And then God, are you calling me to go back to school? Because I believe if God calls you in the ministry, it's a call to prepare. Now, it doesn't always have to be in a seminary. It could be preparation in another way. But when God calls us in the ministry, it's a call to prepare, to surrender, to learn, to grow, to be a follower of him. And so when I think about this four-letter word call, it takes me back to when he called me in life. Now, as I think about this message, I think about those in the room and those who are watching Through these seven points that I'm going to give you in just a moment, every one of us will be impacted by one or more of these statements. And we find them here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 because God's calling us to do numerous things. And as I think about the call of God again, there are many people who are wrestling, who are praying through, having conversations. Is God calling me in the ministry? How does God want me to serve? What does God want to do in my life? What is the purpose God has for me in life? So how is God calling you? And as I do this, let me give you these four statements, these four appeals related to God's call. I've walked every single one of these in my own life, in my own call from him, and they'll relate to you as well. Here's the first one. Listen to God's voice. One of the greatest lessons the Lord has taught me in the Christian life is how to listen to God's voice. How do we hear him speak to us? Primarily through the scripture, through the Holy Spirit, through prayer, through circumstances, other people. How do we listen to God's voice? 
me give you a little testimony. About two weeks before I left to go to Mexico, I was praying about that trip and uh, God, what are you going to do in Mexico? How am I going to be used there? How's this going to impact my own spiritual life? And as I was praying, asking the Heavenly Father for direction and guidance, I had this overwhelming sense of peace from the Lord in this way. He gave me the peace to say, I'm going to use you to make a difference in the lives of pastors and their wives in Mexico. I'm going to use you. But also he gave me this peace to say, I'm also going to minister to your soul and spirit by their obedience and what I'm going to do in Mexico. And I stand here on this Sunday saying the Lord, everything that he affirmed in my life, the peace of God in that, it was one of the most amazing trips that I've been on in a long time to see brothers and sisters in Christ blessed by this church and to see them hungry and to hear them pray and to see them surrender their lives to the Lord Jesus. Many people came to Christ. Many people were surrendered to gospel ministry. It was an incredible time of obedience to Christ, but I listened to his voice and he gave me the peace that passes all understanding. I just encourage you, learn how to listen to God's voice. Second, seek wise, godly counsel. If you're going to surrender your life and follow his leadership, you need some trusted, selected people in your life that you can talk to that will, who, who loves the Lord, who knows God's word, who loves you, and who wants you living in the center of his will that you can seek out wise, godly counsel to say, what do you think God's calling me to do? You need those people around you. And Ains and I have had those people around us for literally years upon years that when we make a major spiritual decision, we seek out wise, godly counsel to say, do you sense we're doing what God wants us to do? Do you have any insights for us? Make sure you pursue counsel. Third, obey God's divine call. Whatever God asks you to do, it's a divine call. It's not a career decision. It's the call of God on your life. Whatever God calls you to do, you make sure you obey his leadership. It may not make sense to people around you. It, 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 may, be, it may cost you severely to do that. But whatever God calls you to do, you obey his divine call. Say yes. Make sure that whatever he asks, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to serve. I'm willing to obey. And then number four, trust God to provide. God will always provide. Paul said to the believers in Corinth, what God is faithful. Church, you need to realize God will always be faithful. His mercies are new every single morning. They're new this morning. They'll be new in the morning. Why? Because great is thy faithfulness. He will always be faithful to you and me. And whatever he calls you to do, he will always provide for you. He'll meet your needs, not simply your wants, but your needs. You trust him to provide for you. And so as we walk through those things about the call of God, then you start looking at the Bible and you start seeing all these individuals who were called of God. Look at Abraham's life. Abraham had a very distinct call on his life to leave what was familiar and to even sacrifice his son in Genesis 22. And Abraham knew that God would provide and Abraham obeyed the leadership of God. Isaiah, one of the most devastating times of his life, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah chapter 6, he heard the call of God, one to salvation, but also whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah said, Lord, hear my, you send me. He faced the call of God at an extreme time in his life, and, and Isaiah obeyed the leadership of God. Jeremiah. 
God called Jeremiah to a very hard, difficult assignment, but Jeremiah obeyed the leadership of God. God called Jonah to go to a particular city, to the city and the people of Nineveh, but Jonah ran the other way. God gave him a second chance. And so God oftentimes will give us very specific assignments. I'm calling you to this city, to these group of people, into this assignment. And then you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, persecuted the way, tried to do everything he could to stop the gospel. But one day on the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, Acts chapter 26, the Lord Jesus saved him transformed his life, called him into ministry. He was going to be a preacher, a church planter, a missionary, an author of most of the New Testament. The Lord had a call in his life, and so the Lord is still calling boys and girls, men and women today, to surrender and to follow him. I just encourage you, listen to his voice, seek out wise, godly counsel. You trust him to provide for you, and you're going to see God do an incredible work in your life. He's faithful. Now, over the next number of minutes here, let me give you these seven things as we see these seven principles from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that we're going to see that will relate to every single one of us in the room and those who are watching online. This is relevant for you and me. Number one is a call to faith. He says in this passage toward the end, in the day of our Lord Jesus, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of the Son, His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That is a message of salvation. You're called into the fellowship of his son, the Lord Jesus. That means that you have turned from your sin, you put your trust in Christ, and he has saved your soul and changed your life. Let me ask you very clear today, without any reservation, do you know that you have trusted Jesus Christ to be your savior? Do you know that? If life ended today, Jesus Christ was to return today, do you know that you would spend eternity in heaven because you were convicted of your sin, you turned from your sin and trusted Jesus? Are you saved, born again in a personal relationship with Christ? It's a call to faith. Let me give you these two words. Number one is the word conviction. When you think about how the Holy Spirit works, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our lostness. When I was a young boy, I still remember I was lost without Christ. I still remember the Holy Spirit convicted me that I needed to be saved. I'll never forget. I can still see her to this very day, stepping out from her pew, walking back to my pew. It was my Sunday school teacher. She was concerned and convicted about my spiritual life if I knew the Lord Jesus or not. In her Sunday school class, we were a wild bunch of little boys. We gave her a run for her money, but she loved us and she had spiritual concern for us and she wanted us boys to know Jesus and to walk with him. I want to say, if you're one of our Connect Group teachers, you're in preschool, kids, students, adults, thank the Lord for your teaching ministry. Thank you for bringing the word every single week as you do that. But what kind of concern do you have for those who are in your class? You may have physical concern, surgeries, ailments, storms, those type things. Sure, you're concerned about those. But make sure you have spiritual concern for people who are sitting before you week in and week out. Make sure they know Jesus. They're walking with him. They're one of his disciples. And make sure they understand that, that, that he wants to use them in life. You need to be convicted about people who are in your class. Thank the Lord for that Sunday school teacher. Second word is conversion. 
As I think about it, he convicted me, but he also converted me. He saved me that day on those basement steps. What is your conversion story in your life? And I challenge you, if you're in this room or you're watching and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you know that you're lost. You know that you've sinned against him because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know that if you died today, you don't have assurance that you're going to spend eternity in heaven. I encourage you this very day, surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Let him save you, convert you, and change your life. He'll do that today. That's why his faithfulness is amazing, his grace is amazing, and he's still saving boys and girls and men and women literally around the world today. And I would encourage you, if you know you're lost and you need to be saved, I would not run from him. I would not delay that decision. I would not procrastinate that decision. Why? Life is too uncertain and fragile. You don't know what's going to happen the rest of this day. But if you need to be saved, there is a call to faith. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ today. Because today is the day of salvation. So he talks to them about being in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a message. It's a call to faith. Number two, a call to family. Paul goes on to those here in Corinth and he talks to them about those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about the importance of the church, the family of God. Now we live in a day where many people have, have different opinions about the church. Is the church necessary? Is the church relevant? Is the church optional? You're going to hear me say throughout this message, the church is necessary. The church is relevant. The church should never be optional. We need the people of God in life. So yes, the church matters. He's called us to a family. Is the church perfect? No. But here's some of the extremes we see when we come to the church. There are some people who look at the church and they only think about buildings, bricks and mortar traditions. The church is much more than that. This is a church building where we gather to meet, but you and I, those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ and who are saved and born again and transformed, you and I are the called out ones. We are the church, not this building. We are the church. And so we need to make sure we have a biblical understanding of the church, but also then there are people who come along the other side of the spectrum. They believe there's no sacred space whatsoever. And I thank God for these buildings because they have been provided, they've been dedicated, they've been set apart, that we gather in this room not to entertain one another, we gather in this room as the people of God to worship a living Savior. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we gather here for that very purpose. There's something about sacred space. When I look at the devotional place, I do my devotions every single morning. When I walk by that chair in that room, I realize for me, that is a sacred space. You know why? Because that's where God and I spend time together. I have conversations with him. I listen to him. It is a sacred space for me. So on one hand, we got people who it's all about buildings. The other part, there's no sacred space. Somewhere we find a balance because there are people who say the church is no longer needed. The church is not necessary. The church is outdated. Church is only interested in money. It's only big business. That is not true. You and I need the family of God in life. If you're a preschooler, you're a kid, you're a student, you're an adult, please understand you need the body of Christ. You need the church. And that's what Paul is saying to these people here in Corinth. It's a call to family, a call to belong to the people of God. Let me give you these three scripture verses. 
One is Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. What do we see in that verse? Jesus said what? On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. It's his church. He said, I'll build my church. We're not merely building the church. He's building the church in and through us. It's his church, and he promises us the enemy is going to throw every dart, fiery dart against the church he can. But Jesus Christ is victorious. Thank God we have victory in Jesus. And so Matthew chapter 16, 13, the importance of the church. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Second one, Acts chapter 20, verses 17 and verse 28. Here the Apostle Paul, what is he talking about? He's talking about the church. He's talking about the believers, talking about elders and leaders. He's calling them to come to him because he needs the people of God in his life. And then in verse 28 of Acts chapter 20, he talks about the church, that Jesus Christ shed his blood for the church. That's incredible. He would give his life for the church. And so, again, whatever age you are, you need the people of God in your life. And we also understand when we think about First Baptist Church, but we think about church, big church around the world, Jesus Christ suffered nails in his hands and feet, a crown of thorns pressed over his head, blood flowing from his body, a spear piercing his side. He gave his life for the body of Christ, the church. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 24 and 26, number 3. When you look at that, he talks about we're many parts, but we're one body. He talks about the body of Christ should not be divided. I pray that is true for us when we come to October the 25th. As we think about our quarterly church conference, there would not be division among us. There would be unity among the people of God. When it comes to October the 29th and we make a historic decision on the faith building proposal, I pray the almighty God will be glorified and I pray that our church will be unified like never before because we have our eyes on him, loving him, following him, obeying him, being good stewards of everything he's trusted us with because there would be no division among the people of God, but God, let us glorify you and let us be united in your spirit. Why? Because the church matters. Every person in this room and watching, when it comes to the family of God, you need a pastor in your life, somebody who's going to teach you and preach God's word, who's going to care for you as an under-shepherd of the good shepherd. You need a family. You need brothers and sisters in Christ in your life. Life is filled with mountains and valleys. If you're on the mountain, you need someone to celebrate with you. And if you're in the valley, you need somebody who will walk with you. You need the family of God. I do not understand how people can go through cancer, tragedy after tragedy without the family of God in their lives. But it happens all the time. That's why our mission, our, our message is so urgent to people out there in the world. You need the family of God in your life. And then you also need a mission. You need a mission somewhere locally, globally, nationally. We need a mission to say, God, it's much more than what I do day in and day out. What is the global, national mission, local mission you want me to be a part of? And that is the Great Commission, getting the good news of Jesus Christ to as many people as fast as we can. We all need that. Why? Because we're called to a family. Number three is a call to follow. Paul talks about he's being called by the will of God to be an apostle. He talks about his brother. He talks about the church. He talks about all these things. He talks about the grace of God given to him. Why? Because he was called to be a follower of Christ. Now, let me ask you these two questions. Are you a leader? Most of us in this room say, sure, I'm a leader. But let me ask you this. Are you a follower? 
because great leaders are great followers first. The Bible has far more to say about following Jesus than it does about leading. And so if you and I are going to be the leaders he wants us to be, then we need to know how to follow him in the spiritual life. Somebody who's the disciple, that's somebody who's a learner, somebody who's a follower. He's called us to follow him. So I'm going to give you four words here briefly that's going to help you. When I think, when I think about how, how the Lord saved me and he started growing me and developing me and then called me into ministry, here are four words that I look at to see how God used in my life to help me follow him in the Christian life. The first one is devotion. And what that means is I love Jesus Christ. I love Jesus Christ. And when you love Jesus Christ, you want to be a follower of him. So let me ask you, do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Whatever age you are, do you love him? Because if you love him, you want to obey what he commands. And if you obey what he commands, he's commanded you to be a follower, but it comes out of devotion. Lord, I want to follow you because I love you. Second word, disciplines. When I think about following him in my own spiritual life, I could never separate the spiritual disciplines from following him. Time in God's word, listening to his spirit, trusting his people. But those spiritual disciplines have been foundational in my life to say, God, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to be? And what do you want me to do? And those disciplines have been essential for me to follow Christ the way he wants me to. Third word, decisions. You're going to make significant decisions in your spiritual life when you commit to follow him. That's why, again, you need to know the Word of God to help guide those decisions. You need to know how to listen to His Spirit when He gives insight to you. And you need to put around yourself some selected godly people who will help you discern the will of God for your life. And it comes out of those decisions. And so I've made some major, major decisions in life and in ministry. When I think about those decisions, we've relied on God's word. We've listened to his spirit. But we've also sought out wise, godly counsel making those decisions. And then number four, destinations. When you follow him, he's going to guide you. He's going to place you at various specific places. And here's what I would say to that. When I look over 35 years of ministry and all the experiences the Lord Jesus has given Angie and me, and we think about following him, every place we've been, we have been placed there by the call of God on life. Church, three years ago, just about here in the next couple of weeks, I accepted the call to be your pastor. And I accepted the call to be your pastor three years ago. You know why? Not because it was a good career move for us. It was because the call of God was on our lives to follow him to Clarksville, Tennessee. It's the call of God. He's calling us to follow. Look at number four, a call to fish. Now, there's some guys in the room just got excited. Said, hey, I like to fish. If you put hunting in there, it's even better. But this is a call to fish. Not the fishing that you think about, but it's a call to fish. Now, you've got to realize, if you decide you're going to be a fisherman for Jesus, you need to get ready because the enemy is going to come against you. Because when you get serious about what he cares about and then you care about that, the enemy is not going to sit idle. He's going to come against you. Spiritual warfare, spiritual battles are real in the Christian life. So here's what happens. Let me give you these two words. One is prayer. When you start talking to the Lord, you rest assured the enemy is going to come against you. Because that's what prayer is. It's having a conversation with God. You're having a conversation to say, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for what you've given me. What do you want me to do in life? Who do you want me to be? What do you want me to do? You're having a conversation with him. Second word is evangelism. 
When you think about evangelism, prayer is talking to God. Evangelism is talking about him. And so if you talk to him or you talk about him, the enemy is going to come against you. Rest assured of that. But when you think about this idea, call the fish, here's, here's what I realize. When you look at God's word, you see in Matthew chapter 4, he calls some fishermen and even tax collectors to come and to follow him, and I'll make you fishers of men. Romans chapter 1, Paul said what? I am obligated both to the Greeks, to wives, those things do what? To present the gospel to people. You look at Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 20, life was miserable for him, but the word of God was like this fire in his life. He could not contain it and keep it to himself. First, first Corinthians chapter 9, every breath that Paul took, he wanted to breathe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he was called to fish. He was to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you these things here. When you think about what he's asked us to do, you, you think about there's several things going on in our culture right now. For example, college football is alive and well. Would you agree with that? It's a big deal in our, in our world, big deal in our nation. Uh, you think about Christmas. Everywhere you go right now, Christmas decorations are up. You're even hearing Christmas music. If you look at some of these channels, the, the family channels, some others are already showing Christmas movies. And so Christmas is alive and well. But also, let me say this, John 3, John 3.16 is alive and well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. Now, out of those three things, when it comes to college football or Christmas decorations or it comes to John 3.16, what excites you the most? That would say a lot about who we are. Because I would say to us, if we come and we say, well, I'm more excited about college football or I'm more excited about Christmas decorations, we need to come to this altar and say, oh, Heavenly Father, forgive me. I repent of my sin because we should always be more excited about John 3.16 than anything this world has to offer. For God so loved the world. He loved you and me. He gave his only begotten son for us that if we believe on him, we wouldn't perish, but we would have everlasting life. He has called us to be fishers of men. Number five, he's called us to forgive. It's a major word right there, but this idea of forgiveness. But when you think about in church life, there are many subjects that you rarely hear from pulpits in our day. You don't hear much about end times. I was witness to a guy on a golf course the other day, not in church. I said, well, what keeps you away from church? He said, I don't think they're preaching and teaching the Bible anymore. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, I don't ever hear any sermons on end times. And we had a conversation about that when it comes to return of Christ. But when you look at that, you see this idea there. But you also hear about holiness. You see about forgiveness. These are major, major words. Let me give you these two scripture verses. Number one, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. What does Paul say in this text? For the word of God is, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. When you look at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he hung on Calvary's cross, nails piercing his hands and feet, crown of thorn over his head, spear piercing his side, blood flowing from his body. When he did that, you realize it is a message of death. It's a message of surrender. It is a message of forgiveness to you and me. The only way we can be forgiven of our sin and forgive somebody else is because the Son of God shed his blood and died on a cross for you and for me. It's a message of forgiveness. Let me give you the second verse, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Paul says to the believers in Ephesus, he says, just as you have been forgiven in Christ, you need to forgive other people. 
So he's called us to forgive. So let me ask you on this Sunday, those in this worship center, those who are worshiping somewhere around the world, when you look at your life, who do you need to forgive? Or who do you need to ask to forgive you? Maybe you need to have a phone call. Maybe you need to make a visit to somebody. Maybe you pull up an empty chair and just say, I need to forgive this person or I need to ask this person to forgive me. Why? Because there's a call of God in your life to forgiveness. It's called. Number six is a call to fulfill. There are some in this room, and Paul goes on to say he was called by the will of God to be an apostle, so he was a vocational call for him. There are some in this room, kids, students, young, young people, even those who have some years in life. I still believe God is calling, just like he called Abraham and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Jonah and Paul, just like he called me and so many others in this room who've had the call of God on life. I still believe he's calling boys and girls and men and women to say yes to his call and to surrender their lives and be used in gospel kingdom ministry. He's still doing that. There's a call to fulfill. And that's what Paul's teaching the believers in Corinth. Let me give you three words here when it comes to the call of God on life. Number one's desire. You say, well, how will I know if God's calling me or not? Do you have a desire to be used to him? Do you have a desire to serve? When God called me many, many, many years ago, there was, he just gave me this desire that simply would not go away. When I'd get up in the morning, I was thinking about the call of God. When I put my head on a pillow at night, thinking about the call of God. It was always this desire. So has God given you a desire to be used of him? Second word, character. We live in a world where character doesn't matter much anymore. But please understand this next statement. In the word of God, character matters to him and it still matters in our day as well. If you're going to be called of God, make sure your character matches his call in your life. Character still matters. Third word is surrender. Make sure you surrender your life to him. You've got to come with open hands and say, Lord Jesus, everything about my life is yours. Wherever you call me, whatever you ask me to do, whatever you want me to do, Lord Jesus, I'm going to be obedient because there's a call to fulfill. Number seven is a call to finish. Paul is giving insights here about living the Christian life. He's talking to them about the grace of God and he's giving thanks to God for them. He's giving them insights about the, the coming of Christ and he's talking about all these things about convictions, the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus. You'll never have the peace of God until you experience the grace of God. So he's talking about all those things, but he's talking about finishing as well. There's a call to finish. Now let me give you these two words and we'll pray. First word is careful. If you're going to finish well in the Christian life, you're going to finish well in ministry, you need to be careful. That's what Paul said to the believers in Ephesus chapter 5. Make the most of every opportunity. Be careful how you live because why? The days are evil. That is so, so true. Be careful. Here's some sub-points there. You say, what do I need to be careful about? If you're in ministry... You're a servant of Jesus Christ and you're going to finish well. You need to be careful in these areas. These are just some. I could give you many more. These are just some. You need to be careful how you handle money. I've seen many people crash and burn in ministry because they mismanage God's funds. Handle money wisely. How you relate with the opposite sex wise. I've seen many, many people again in ministry crash and burn you know why because they did not relate to the opposite sex the way God desired be careful 
Also, how you handle criticism. Criticism is going to come for those of us who are in ministry. Make sure you handle criticism well. And then I would even give you this one, be careful. What you post on social media makes a difference. Be careful. Word number two is the word courageous. If you're going to finish well in a Christian life, you've got to be courageous. We live in a world that if you're going to stand faithful to Jesus, you're going to stand faithful on the Word of God, and you're going to stand faithful in ministry, you must be courageous because you're going to swim against the culture in which we live. But you've got to be courageous. Lord, I'm going to stand on your Word. I'm going to sow gospel seeds. I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to be courageous. Be faithful to Jesus. How are you going to finish? Pro golfer Andy Bean just passed away yesterday. I remember growing up playing golf, watching him, incredible golfer, a gentle giant in many ways. His wife came out with a statement yesterday and she said his last physical words were these. What are your last words going to be? How are you going to finish? She said that her husband Andy Bean, pro golfer, his last physical words, he looked at her and said, I love you and I love Jesus. And he passed away. How are you going to finish? Let me ask you today, what is the Lord calling you? Is he calling you to be saved today? Is he calling you to be baptized? Calling you to join the fellowship of the church? Is he calling you into ministry? Is he calling you to forgive someone? Is he calling you to finish well? How is he calling you? We're going to sing, I Surrender All. And I pray today, it's not just a song we sing, but I pray it's a life that we live, that we surrender everything to him. Let's bow together as we pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that when we sing this song, I Surrender All, you live that. You model that for us. You gave everything for us, Lord Jesus. And so, Father, right now in this invitation, I pray that we'll surrender everything to you. And Lord, I pray for salvation decisions. I pray somebody will say, Lord, I need to be baptized in obedience to you. Somebody would join the fellowship of this church. Oh, Lord Jesus, somebody will say yes to ministry. There's forgiveness that needs to be given, extended, received. Lord Jesus, let that happen as well. But I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will call us today. And whatever your call is, we will be obedient. And we give you the praise, Lord Jesus, as we surrender, as we sing this amazing, amazing hymn, I Surrender All. Jesus, we pray this in your name today. Amen.